0: Good morning, y'all. Man, I'm uh, I'm excited to be here this morning. Ever since Philip called me, there's been two or three times that Philip has called and said, "Hey, can you come and speak?" And so there's always been a conflict. So I'm thankful that this time I get to get to finally be here with y'all. And this is probably more of a privilege. <laughs> it's more of a privilege for me than it is for y'all. Let me let me assure you that. Uh, but if you'd turn to chapter uh, Mark, chapter four. That's where we're going to be today. And first of all, just by way of introduction, let me say a couple of things. My name's Lynn Lloyd. This is my wife, Rebecca. And um, I serve as one of your cooperative program missionaries. I work with the Collegiate Young Leaders Department, the team that does all the collegiate ministry across the state. And so for about 115 years or so, I was the BCM director at the University of Arkansas. And so, yeah, I've been there a long time, I'm still, ha- and I'm still hanging out with college students. If you can imagine that, but uh, this church, I, I want to say, has a great legacy with BCM. You may not even realize that, but you have sent to us some incredible students over the years that have been active in BCM, that have been leaders in BCM, that are, have moved on to do great things, connected with. Rachel's mom, Rachel Burgett, was a part of our ministry. Uh, you probably know Warren Gassaway. Warren was one of my students who now works with Arkansas Baptist State Convention. Probably, I can brag on him since he's not here. Probably one of the best youth ministers in all the state of Arkansas. Now works, you know, across the state with youth ministry, plans Super Summer, does some phenomenal things. Warren's been, been awesome. Young man by the name of Nathan McLean. I don't know if y'all remember the McLean boys. There were a couple of brothers, but Nathan. Uh, Nathan came through. Was a BCM president at U of A. Uh, great leader. Is now a uh, uh, a chaplain in the army. I've got lots of stories, crazy stories about Nathan. And uh, and then some other students that have come through. There were a couple of young ladies. That, uh, their last name were Johnson. Probably the best two. Female athletes, I think I've ever seen at the University of Arkansas in intramurals. And fortunately, they played for us, and we won a lot of intramural championships that year. But you have had a great legacy uh, in collegiate ministry, and I just want to say thank you. And even now, Philip, and you know Philip, uh, Philip served and became a believer through BCM, uh, served as a campus minister uh, through BCM. It continues to to serve and has a a vast reach, you know, one of his students, Austin West, Austin comes through here, you know, and now Austin is, works with student ministry in New York. So, thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you do, all you have done. Thank you for your gifts to the Cooperative Program, Dixie Jackson offering that helps us do what we do. We have 160,000 university students in the state of Arkansas, and our goal is that every student on every campus would have the chance to hear the gospel, to know Jesus Christ. And we are in the process, I mean, it's, it, it's almost go time <laughs> for college ministry. Uh, our guys have been in camps all summer. They've been scattered out in different meetings. They've worked hard and prepared. And so in about four weeks, Less than four weeks, three weeks, college students are going to start showing up on campuses across the state of Arkansas. And so, <clears throat> as you think to August, please pray for our campus ministers and uh, the the task that we have before us to reach our college campuses. <clears throat> you know, um, uh, Philip told me that y'all have just finished uh, going through First Peter, and so uh, in praying through that and looking at some of what y'all. Uh, kind of have have studied and uh, the 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 themes of first Peter I kind of wanted to take us into maybe something related to that and one of the things that is related to that is the book of Mark where we 're going to be today. you know Mark, most of what mark we have from the gospel of Mark they think came directly from Peter and so as you think through Peter and peter's life. He had influence on a young guy, maybe a college-age kind of guy, by the name of Mark. And Mark ended up writing some of the stories, some of the eyewitnesses' accounts that Peter had. And so the story that we're going to look at today, I I kind of think about, and I'm wondering, man, I I wonder if this story, if Mark was even, you know, he probably was close. Uh, we, we first hear about Mark in the book of Acts, but, but this story definitely would have been told to him by Peter. And so when, we, when you look at the, the book of First Peter, and, and, and Peter's challenging us to holiness, Peter is challenging us to um, the fact that there's going to be suffering, the challenges of, of walking the Christian life out of 1 Peter that y'all have gone through, I want us to use that as kind of the backdrop for what we're going to look at in Mark chapter 4 today. So in Mark chapter 4, uh, let's look at verse 35. Uh, you're not going to hear anything new <laughs> this morning. Uh, you've heard this story. If you've been in church, you you know this story. You could be telling this story. But I want us to hopefully see this kind of in a new light today. That uh, it'll kind of give us a new perspective of what this story is about and what it means. So let me read this passage of Scripture to you, uh, and then we are going to dive into talking about this and how this applies to us today, how this applies maybe for this coming week um, or the things that might be coming our way. Okay, Mark 4, verse 35, and it says, On that day, by the way, on that day means... He's had a really busy day. <laughs> Jesus not only has had a busy day, He's had a busy several days. He's getting to this place, and it says, on this day. So just know, physically, even though He is fully God and fully human, His human side is exhausted at this point. And so when it says, on that day, they're, he's, they're making a change, they're making a shift, and this is what's happening. Says on that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep, on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, Let's pray together. Uh, Father, this morning, just reading your word again, even though I've read this passage many times, just reading this passage this morning just gives me chills. Now, Father, we stand before you like one of these disciples, sometimes struggling in our faith, crying out to you And then realizing that we stand in the presence of someone who is so awesome, so powerful, so loving, so caring. And we stand amazed. And sometimes we wonder, who is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him. Father, I pray this morning that you would fill this room with your spirit. This isn't about about me. It's not about any individual in this room, but it's about you. And so, Father, I pray that your spirit would connect with our spirits. Father, that you would move and, and teach us and help us understand from your word what you have for us today. Father, that we might know you better. But more than anything, God, that we would be more like your son, Jesus. We thank you for your word. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So, one of the great things that I still get to do, now I'm, I'm not at, on campus at the University of Arkansas anymore. One of our former students, Cole Pennick. hopefully you'll get to hear him preach one of these days. He's a great preacher. Uh, Cole is, uh, runs our campus ministry at the U of A, but I, these days, I get to travel across our state and work with all of our campus ministries. So one of the things I get to do is help our other campus ministries and campus ministers mobilize uh, students to do mission work and go, we do spring break missions teams, we do uh, stuff all summer long, but that's one of, the, one of the parts of my job that I get to do and I get to enjoy Uh, So, in May, I got to take a group of students to Israel. Have any of y'all ever been to Israel? Anybody gotten to take that kind of trip? This was my first trip. Let me tell you, you want to go when you're young. (laughs) For a couple of reasons. One, there's lots of walking. Number two, it just shapes the way you look at the Bible and think about the Bible and, and, and want to teach the Bible. And so, I had this opportunity to lead this team of students. Well, one of the places that we went was the Sea of Galilee. And so when we got to the Sea of Galilee and, uh, you know, you get to visualize what everything is like, the Sea of Galilee is not quite quite like what I visualized because it's more like a big lake, (laughs) you know. For us here in Arkansas, we just say, oh, that's a lake. Uh, But the Sea of Galilee, it's called a sea because of the way it sits geographically. And the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level, for one thing. It's in the Jordan Valley, what they call the rift of the Jordan Valley. So there's, uh, on, on different sides of there are steep mountains and it, it, that run from north to south, and uh, the, the, the river, jo- the Jordan River runs from east north to south. The mountains are on east and west banks, and it causes and can cause huge storms as you know, the uh, cool wind comes off those mountains and hits that low desert air that's coming up from the south. It can cause tremendous storms. Uh, in fact, as late as 1992, there were storms on the Sea of Galilee that caused waves over 10 feet high, which crashed into the city of Tiberias and, and caused quite a bit of, of damage. So even though it's a small lake, you can drive around it. Its Shoreline-wise, it's about 35 or 40 miles. You know, if you could drive all the way around. So it's not huge. Nothing like, like Beaver Lake, like we're what we're used to. But it's about eight miles across. And so in our story, when we catch up with our story here, kind of get that visual that they're taking like an eight-mile boat ride to get to the other side. And what happens is a storm comes up. And what we want to talk about today is... Don't waste your storms. Don't waste your storms. See, storms come in all different sizes. I grew up in Oklahoma. I know about storms. I've been through a few different kinds of storms in Oklahoma. Dust storms, tornadoes, thunderstorms, all those kinds of storms. But there are storms that come to us in our lives that are hurricanes. You know sometimes. And it's those kind of storms in your life that you do not want to waste. First thing I want us to understand is there is a purpose for the storms. There's purpose in your storm. You know, Jesus always had purpose in something. Even through the book of Mark, when we begin to to look at some of the scriptures leading up to the to where we're at in in chapter four, if we could go back in chapter three a little ways, and I think around verse thirty one it says that Jesus told his disciples, there's just one verse in there, or one sentence, it says that Jesus told his disciples, Go get a boat ready. Go get a boat ready. This was probably a couple of days before this ever happened. He was already thinking ahead. He already knew what was coming and he already had a purpose for what he was he was thinking about. So he said, Be sure and have a boat ready in in when we get there. When because there's going to be a time and the, the crowds and the people are pressing around him and he's looking for an opportunity maybe to, to leave the ministry that he's in to go to a different side. He always had a purpose, always had a purpose. There's a couple other things in here that are, that are really interesting. When we look at this, uh, in the, if this passage, this story is told in Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke. So if, you could go, if we went back to Matthew chapter 8 and read this story, it would say this, the words that it would use. He would tell his disciples he would, to get into the boat. In fact, it says he gave orders for them to get into the boat. The, these word orders here is one of those kingly kind of words. It wasn't just a suggestion of, hey, hey guys, let's climb in the boat. It was like, go get in the boat we're going to the other side. He always had purpose for what he was doing. If we it says that they left in the evening. Evening was the best time if they were going to cross if if there if a storm was going to come up. It was normally going to come up in the during the day. So safety-wise, it's better to travel in the evening if you're crossing the Sea of Galilee. Now, we know that probably three or four of these guys with Jesus in the boat are they're professional fishermen. I mean, they know the Sea of Galilee. And so one of the other things it says is that they had other boats with them. I think when, when I really started looking at this passage, I think for the first time I realized, oh, there was one more than one boat. And when we were standing at the Sea of Galilee and we were talking about different stories about that happened around the Sea of Galilee, uh, the the lady who was helping share... And lead us through this experience. There said that one of the reasons they would tra- the other boats would travel is because they would they would tie each other together, you know. So it was like a flotilla. So there could have been two boats, three boats, four boats. It says there were other boats with them. So there was always purpose, but what, but uh, in 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 what Jesus did, and your storm has a purpose. The the thing that really is important here too is to realize what jesus said he said get into the boat we're going to the other side you know one thing about jesus's word is when he gives his word you can take it as a promise you can take it, take his word as a promise and so he's saying get in the boat because we're going to go to the other side he had a reason he had a purpose You know, to make a promise to someone is to assure that if they have any doubt, they know that your word is a promise. If I promise Rebecca something, it's to say to her, hey, don't worry, don't fret, I'm going to get this done eventually. It's on the list. I'll get it done, you know. Jesus' word is a promise. You can take it as a promise. And there's a promise in your storm. And as a kind of a spoiler alert to this story, if you look at chapter 5, verse 1, it says they got to the other side. They were doubting it, but it says they got to the other side. So the first thing that you need to know about your storms is your storms have purpose. So we don't want to waste our storm. Because every storm that you go through has a purpose. The next thing I I want us to look at is this. Is that storms create a defining moment. Storms create a defining moment. A defining moment is one of those moments when important decisions are made. Defining moments are those moments in our lives which display what our true character is. A defining moment in our life is reveals who we are and, and where we're going. And defining moments are memorable, and a lot of times they are emotional. And so storms in your life can be a very important defining moment moment. Let me just share. If y'all have been keeping up a little bit with our country's history, what, let me give you a quiz right quick. Which significant national event happened 50 years ago yesterday? Yeah. 50 years ago yesterday, we landed on the moon. First time for a man to walk on the moon. Three astronauts. Uh, Buzz Aldrin, Neil Armstrong. Do you know the name of the third one? Michael Collins. Michael Collins. We don't hear much about Michael Collins because he was the one that was in, uh, he was the one that helped them get back off the moon surface (laughs) and back to earth. He was actually the commander of the trip. A defining moment. This is it, and if you go back and you read and look at, and y'all that are my age can think back through history and know for our country what we were enmeshed in in a, in a Cold War with Russia and the, the space race and uh, nuclear arms and everything in 1969, just a crazy year for our, for our country. This was a defining moment for our country. Uh, one little thing that uh, that I read about this uh, defining moment in our country 's history that I had no clue about, and maybe you heard this over the last few days too, is that the first words that were spoken or read on the moon, the first act of anything that was done, on the moon before they got out of the capsule, Buzz Aldrin, who was a man of faith, uh, they had warned, NASA had warned the astronauts not to do anything religious. Because in Apollo, I think Apollo 8, when they had circled the moon so many times and there was that statement about the creation and they read Genesis 1-1, there was a threatened lawsuit against NASA if the astronauts should do anything, if they read scripture or anything. So Buzz Aldrin wanted to do something because it was so monumental. It was a defining moment. So he went to his pastor. He said, what can I do? His his pastor suggested that they take the Lord's Supper when they landed on the moon and then read a passage of Scripture. So before they ever got out of the capsule, he and Neil Armstrong shared the Lord's Supper. And he read John chapter 15 about the about Jesus' words, about being the vine and the branches. You talk about a defining moment. That is a defining moment. Our storms can be a defining moment. First thing I want to see in here is in this story is how the disciples had a (laughs) faith-failing moment, okay? They had a faith-failing moment there for a little bit. They are they're with Jesus in the boat. Jesus is exhausted. He's asleep. And I don't know how he's staying asleep. You know, he must have been so, so tired. Because you know that it's raining. The boat's jumping up and down on these waves. But if you read through all three of those uh, stories in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, every one of those stories uh, approaches Jesus differently by title. They call him teacher. They call him master They call him uh, Lord or Rabbi. Uh, And to me, it just shows the panic that they were in. They were just screaming at him, you know, yelling, Jesus, Master, Teacher, don't you care? Don't you care that we're about to drown? This was a faith-failing moment for them. You know, there's times in our lives when I know that we want to scream at God like that. There's there's times in our lives when we want to say, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care about my job? My job's failing. Don't you care about my marriage? Don't you care about my child that's sick? Don't you care about this relationship? Don't you care about this, whatever it could be? We just want to scream and say, don't you care? But we don't want to miss what Jesus is doing and what God's doing in the storm. It's a faith-failing moment. You know, I don't know if Jesus had a hot button. Y'all have hot buttons? (laughs) I I do sometimes. Uh, Rebecca knows all my hot buttons. You know, somebody can say something to you, and you just go, "Ooh," you you just want to bow up. Don't say that to me. You know, don't double dare me. Well, I think Jesus probably had a hot button. And I think the disciples pushed it when they said, Don't you care? I mean, they had just been with him, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. They had seen him feed thousands of people. They had seen him heal many, many people. They had seen him cure all sorts of diseases. They had seen him... uh, do all kinds of miracles and signs. And, and Jesus, in chapter 10, Mark hinges uh, from, in, in chapter 8, about mid-chapter 8, Mark hinges, and he goes from all this ministry to beginning to talk about the end times for him, about where he's headed to the cross, about what's going to happen. In verse 10, 45, he even says this, it says, I didn't come for those who are healthy. I came to save sinners. That was his purpose. He came to save sinners. And so I imagine he's, he, for him, he's thinking, what? You think I don't care? You've seen all this, and this is where I'm headed, and you think I don't care? And I imagine he woke up at that, and he's just about to get on to his disciples, and he's realizing all this ruckus that's going around him. And he, and and he stops and he, because he can't talk to his disciples, and all of a sudden he says, Peace! Be still! Be calm! And says that the waves and the winds, they obey him. It's almost like they obey him like a noisy child, you know, because it's immediate calm. It's not like a storm that passes over and all of a sudden the clouds part and the sun comes out. No, it's immediate calm. It's like a child that said, oh, sorry, Dad. Too loud. I'll settle down. And he looks at his disciples and this faith-defining moment reveals who who they are and really who they're going to become. Because God does His best work in the middle of a storm. God does His best work in the middle of a storm. A faith-defining moment is any moment that we decide to follow Jesus. A a faith defining moment, is any moment that you're willing to say, I'll get in the boat. If we, again, if we could go back and look at Matthew 8, the, the, the story right before this story in Matthew, there is two conversations that he has. One of the conversations that says that a scribe uh, comes to Jesus and says, uh, Jesus, I want to follow you. And then Jesus, this is that conversation where the, Jesus says, you know, the foxes have holes, the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to, to, to lay his head. And so that scribe has a decision. Is he going to follow him or not? And then right after that, there's another little, another little uh, conversation that happens. It says that a disciple comes to him and says, Jesus, I want to follow you. But first, I need to go home and bury my father. And you remember what Jesus said to him? He says, let the dead bury the dead. You come and follow me. The very next verse is when he gets into the boat. And it says that the the disciples follow him. They follow him into the boat. Anytime we follow Jesus, it is a faith-defining moment. Your storm that you... and, And there's the storms that you've been through, the storms that you're probably coming out of right now, the storms that you may be headed into that you don't know anything about. They will be faith-defining moments. Are you going to follow Jesus in your storm? Because Jesus does his best work in the storms. Last thing is this. Storms build your faith. Storms build your faith. Jesus asked two questions (laughs) to his disciples. I, I think it's pretty interesting. After he gets the storm quieted down after his temperature has gone down from his hot button being pushed, he probably really looks at them very compassionately. And he's probably shaking his head. You know, a lot of these guys were either late teenagers or what I would call college student age. And after working with college students, there's a lot of times I just want to go, oh my, <laughs> you've got a long ways to go. And he's probably looking at these guys and he's thinking that and he asks them two questions. And these are two questions we have to consider today. Number one is this. He says, why are you so afraid? In in those other passages it's, why are you so afraid? What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of today? What are the things that we fear the most? And, And I know in the in this body that most of the storms in here are secret storms. Most of the storms that happen are secret. They rage on the inside of us. A lot of people don't know what's happening. A lot of people don't know that just because you might have gotten a promotion at work, it's brought all this other responsibility and and worry and, and threat on you. They don't know that the the financial obligations that you've got. They don't know the uh, inter-conflict that might be happening with uh, a, a a family member or a spouse. Those storms are so secret. And they can bring fear to us. And Jesus says, what are you so afraid of? Trust me. Let me calm your storm. A life lived in faith with Jesus is much greater than life lived on our own. So don't be so fearful of your storm that you lose the awareness of the presence of God. Don't be so fearful of your storm that you lose the awareness that God is present. In your storm. Second thing, question he asks is this where is your faith? Where is your faith? Have you still no faith? O you, O ye, of little faith. This faith defining moment, if, if storms build our faith, This is how the disciples experience that building of their faith. Verse 41 says this. It says, who is this? What manner of man is this? That even the waves and the winds obey him. What manner of man, that that phrase, what manner of man, who is this? is a word that means uncommon. That he is not from this area. <laughs> you know, somebody comes into Mansfield and y'all may run into him at Casey's or something they ask you a question and you know, oh, you're not from this area, are you? You're not, you're not common folk. You're kind of uncommon. What manner of man is this? He's not common. <laughs> this man is Uncommon. He rules the waves and the winds. You know, in chapters, starting in the middle of chapter 1 of Mark and going through into chapter about 14, Jesus demonstrates his power, his, his power over disease, over creation, over death. He demonstrates his power over demons, He's not common. So what are we afraid of? And where is our faith? Let me give you three suggestions that if if we're going to live this out, if we're going to make the most out of our storms, if we're not going to waste our storms, let me give you three simple suggestions and ideas. Number one, storms, reasons to have faith during a storm, gives us the opportunity to trust God fully. It gives us the opportunity to trust God fully, to put our faith in him. It's one thing to have faith in him. It's another thing to trust him. You know, faith is kind of a heart issue. I I place my faith in him. I trust him when I get in the boat. If you want to see your faith grow in a storm, lean into Him instead of leaning away from Him. Trust Him. Don't waste your storm. Trust Him. Open your hands and say, God, this is it. I need you. I know you care. (laughs) Trust God fully. second thing is this. Not wasting our storm gives us the opportunity to share our faith. It gives us the opportunity to share our faith. Think about this. So, says these other boats are with him, okay? So you've got one, two, three, four boats maybe. Can you imagine when that boat when that Jesus was in pulls up on shore on the other side? And that second boat pulls up. Or maybe that third boat. I can see those guys piling out of those boats, running up to that first boat, running up to the disciples and saying, what just happened? Man, what happened out there? And those disciples in that boat saying, Jesus saved my life. He saved my life. We were dying. We were about to go under. Jesus saved us. He saved me. Your storm." gives you the opportunity to share your faith in a way that you you won't ever have the opportunity again. Share your faith. And the, the third thing is this. It gives us the opportunity to encourage someone who's going through a storm. It gives us the opportunity to encourage someone who's going through a storm. Uh, you can probably think right now, I, Rebecca and I were talking about some folks we know not real well, uh, that are going through a horrible storm right now. The loss of life. There's some people that are going through storms that you know, either your neighbors or some of your family members that are going through storms. Those storms give you opportunity to encourage them because many times you've been through that storm. If you've lived long enough like me, you've been through a lot of storms. And you can turn around and say, This is how I got through that storm. And if you'll trust Jesus, He will get you to the other side. You're going to make it to the other side. Just trust. Be encouraged. We're in the boat with you. So don't waste your storm. Storms have a purpose. Storms provide defining moments for our faith, and storms can build our faith. This morning, we have the opportunity to kind of have a time of invitation. Anytime we have a time of invitation, it's a time to determine, you know, what, what's God saying to me? Uh, we have invitations, you know, in Baptist churches to give opportunities for maybe someone who's never placed their faith in Christ, this was that time, this is that opportunity to say, hey, I'm ready to get in the boat with Jesus. I'm ready to get there. So that would be part of our invitation this morning, our our welcoming you to this church and and saying, we're going to pray for you. Uh, We'll support you. We'll help you in your walk with Christ. And then the other side of this invitation this morning is that you may be going through a storm and you just may need somebody to pray for you. Or you may need to just come up here and pray. Or you need to pray right where you're at and say, God, I don't want to waste my storm. How are you going to turn what looks so bad into something that is honoring to you and, and can be used by you? Don't waste your storm. So the invitation is kind of twofold this morning. If you've never placed your faith in Christ, myself or one of the deacons up here would love to talk to you or a friend in this church would love to talk to you about how they place their faith in Christ and what that looks like. And then if you'd like to pray and say, I just need somebody to pray with me through this storm, then there are people here to pray with you also. So would you stand And uh, as we close out this service this morning?